starting a few months ago, God really began to deal with me personally about the need for our church, and not just our church, but the church in general, but especially here at Crossway Church. God began to deal with my heart about the need for us to take a look at what the Bible teaches about what a home is supposed to look like. As a pastor, I have the privilege and the responsibility of counseling people often in the darkest hours of their life. And one of the things that I have learned in 14 years of pastoring is that just because two people are Christians and just because they are committed to life does not mean that their marriage is happy. Just because the home has not unraveled and the husband and wife have not divorced, and the husband and wife are still living in the same home, does not mean that they are emotionally engaged, and that the home is ruled by the peace and joy of the Lord Jesus Christ. We live in a world that is contrary to everything this tells us. We are busy. We are bombarded with information. We are bombarded with things to do. We are just in chaos, all around us. And it's hard sometimes to slow down enough to honestly examine our homes. And so many times there's conflict, and we know that sometimes there's contempt and bitterness between a husband and a wife. Sometimes there is absolutely no um, positive relationship between the husband and parents, and it's like we don't know what to do. I was joking with my wife just uh, the other day because our lives are very busy. It's not out of the ordinary for us to put in 70 to 80 hours a week. It's not out of the ordinary for us to start our day at 7 in the morning and not finish till 9.30 at night. And I was just joking with her. I said, you know, life would be a lot easier if we wanted to move to Antarctica and uh, start a little tiny church with four people and uh, make our own food and our own little igloo and just live that way the rest of our lives. We'd have no phones, no cell phones, no internet. And uh, I said, we could pray about it. And she said, I prayed about that a long time ago. I already got my answer. (laughs) But if we're committed to living in a world that is so fast-paced, that is full of chaos, we have to know... How do we make it through this thing? And not just make it through, because I don't believe God just wants us to make it through. I think He wants us to make it through, but to do so with peace and joy and comfort, ruling our hearts and ruling our home. So I want to do a sermon series titled Home Improvement. And I want to look at a handful of things. We're going to deal with men specifically. This series is going to help you whether you're married, Whether you're single, whether you're divorced, whether you're somewhere in between, whether you've got kids, whether you don't have kids, all of us have a home. All of us have a daily life that we have to live out, and it's meant to honor and glorify God. And I want to deal with men, I want to deal with women. If the Lord continues to lead the way that I believe He has so far, I'm going to do an entire part on just raising boys. And I'm going to do a part on just raising girls. And how do we do that in this culture? And so I ask that you'd pray for me as I do my best to help you. Because that's what I want to do. I want to help you. One of the things that I have come to see most of the time, not all the time, 
Most of the time people come to me when it's too late. The wife is all, or the husband, but the, just in one scenario, for example, the wife has already decided it's over. And it's like they sit down with the pastor as a last second resort to hopefully try to get my blessing that, yeah, they are correct and it is over and there's nothing that can be done. Normally, in that keeping with this same scenario, the husband will say something like, I didn't realize it was this bad. I mean, it hasn't been great. Everybody's got their problems. And the last two months, she's been saying this and this and this. And it's like, I haven't had time to change it. And she says, no, I've been saying this for two to five years. You're just listening now because you know I'm on my way out. And all too often, I see people who sincerely want a a marriage that works. They want a home that's ruled by peace. They want a life that looks like what God wants it to look like. And this is the truth. They've done everything they know how. They really have. They have tried as much as they could possibly try to make it work. And it's not working. And I felt led to take some time to talk to us as a group about some things you can do in your marriage and in your life, in your home, that can change the way that you live. So this morning, we're going to start with the best topic of all, money. Why are we starting with money? I'm going to turn this fan off because it's making me cold. It's not really. I just don't like the sound of it. Okay. Money matters. It's not so much about money, but it's about what money says about us. Why am I dealing with money when I'm talking about home improvement? Here's the reason why, brothers and sisters. It is impossible to have a healthy home if you don't have healthy finances. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be rich. doesn't mean you have to have a lot of money. But it means you have to handle what you do have the way God has asked you to handle it. And whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whether you're somewhere in between, the same principles apply to all of us. I can't talk to you about marriage and a healthy marriage without talking to you about finances. Why not? According to the Consumer Credit Counseling Service, 60% of married respondents report fighting about report fighting about money with their spouse. 60%. In addition, 20% said that financial problems negatively affected relationships with their parents. More than 93% report that financial problems increased the amount of stress in their lives. Dr. Andrew Jastani is a family and divorce mediator. He said that for almost all couples that I provide divorce mediation services to, ongoing quarrels and differences over money are frequently cited as one of the primary reasons for their marriage problems. Statistics show that the majority of marriages that end in divorce cite money problems as the number one reason for divorce. 
Arguing over finances can cause irreparable damage in a relationship. 75% of couples who divorce before the age of 30. That's three out of four. 75% of couples who divorce before the age of 30 cite money as the main cause of divorce. So statistically, we know finances play a big role in the health of your marriage. Biblically, you might be interested to know that the Bible speaks about prayer in nearly 500 verses. It's a lot of verses about prayer. The Bible speaks about faith in less than 500 verses. And the Bible speaks about money and possessions in more than 2,000. God has a lot to say about money and possessions. It's not so much about money, but it's the fact that how we spend our money and what we hunger for and what we possess says a whole lot about what's really going on in here. So this is a relevant and much needed topic. And we as a church need to examine it with our whole hearts. If your marriage, if your relationship, if your home is, it doesn't look like God wants it to look and you know it. Here's what I want you to understand. It's going to take work. There is no magic bullet. There is no single 30-minute sermon that you can sit through and the light bulb is just going to go off and all of a sudden peace is going to overcome your home forevermore. It's going to take work. And we're going to look at the multitudes of areas together that we need to do our best to get in place in our home. One of my friends just recently posted, and he's actually preaching a sermon series on greatness, according to God. And he used a quote from a famous coach who simply said that perfection is not attainable. But if we chase perfection, we might catch greatness. Vince Lombardi said that. I believe the same is true of our marriages. There is no such thing as a perfect marriage. There's no such thing as a perfect husband or a perfect wife or perfect children. But if we chase perfection, I'm convinced we can have great families. Sir, I'm convinced while you might not be a perfect husband, you can become a great husband. You might not be a perfect dad, but you can become a great dad. Our homes might not be perfect, but they can be great So let's look at all of these things together, starting with money. This morning, for our text, look at Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8 this morning to start. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8 says this, But truly, that's Micah. Let's get to Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. In verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. 
I will not op- if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. I want to talk to you this morning about stewardship. I want to talk to you this morning about understanding that we have a responsibility with the things that God has given to us to handle them God's way. If you knew something that would change someone's life, wouldn't you want to tell them? If you knew something that could change your life, wouldn't you want to know? I'm telling you this morning, if you understand what this says, what God says about what you have, it can change your life. It will change your life. Stewardship. This message can impact your family, your marriage, your life entirely forever. Most people who get upset about the pastor talking about money, I'm just going to tell you the truth, and I'm going to say it as kind as I can. Typically, there are people who aren't spending their money right and don't want to be told what to do with their money. But it's not really me they have the problem with. It's the God of the Word. It is the God who created you, who has told you His expectations of how you should spend what He has given you. Now, there are some who will say tithing is an Old Testament thing. Let me say unashamedly, as clear as I can, no, it is not. Tithing is an Old Testament principle. But that doesn't mean the principle is done away with. When you go to the New Testament, we see that grace raises the bar with everything. Jesus talks in the Sermon on the Mount about how things used to be. Your law says, he says, but I say to you, and Jesus is always raising the bar. Grace raises the bar. We see the New Testament church, the Bible says in the book of Acts, they gave everything they had, all that they had was in common, and nobody lacked or had need. And so Jesus also spoke his own words to the, the Pharisees. That They say, well, we tithe of, uh, of, our, of the mint and of the cumin and of, of all of these things. And Jesus says, you should have done these things. He acknowledged while he was on earth, these are good things. Tithing is an important principle. What is tithing? Tithing means that I take a portion of what God has given me and I give it back to the work of the Lord. It is a relationship that I have with God where I acknowledge, God, you have given me the health to work. You have given me the wisdom to do what I do. You have blessed me with what you have blessed me with And as a result, I want to be involved in your kingdom and I want to sow into your kingdom. The tithe generally means a tenth. That's what the word tithe means. It means a tenth. I do not personally get incredibly legalistic on tenth. Is it a tenth of your gross? Is it a tenth of your net? I've always lived by the attitude, I don't want to do as little as possible. I don't want to know what is the least amount that I can possibly do to not be breaking the rules. That's not even the right heart. And we're going to see that before we're done today. God loves a cheerful giver, 
God wants us to give not out of compulsion. He doesn't want us to be reluctant about doing it. God loves a cheerful giver. But the word tithe, it does mean a tenth. Now, why is stewardship so important? I want you to know it's not really about funding the church, even though God told us that that is part of what the tithes do, is they they help provide for the ministry of the church. Primarily, that's not the purpose. Look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21. Jesus teaches us the reason that the Bible says so much about giving and about our finances in Matthew chapter 6. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We would like to think that somehow our relationship with God and our heart for the things of God and our desire to see the ministry of God grow and our desire to see lives change through the preaching of the Gospel. We would like to think our desire for those things somehow is not spoken to by the way we spend our money. And Jesus says, no, they're inseparable. Where your treasure is says a lot about your heart. In Luke chapter 16 and verse 1, the Bible says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful with much. And so we have something less and something greater. Now here's what we have to understand about stewardship. There is something that is greater than money. There is something that is greater than possessions. There is something that is greater than things. And we can build a heavenly kingdom. You know, I don't know when the Lord is coming back. I know it could be any time. I know if you're here this morning and you're not saved, you need to get saved. Because the Lord could come back at any time. We are not guaranteed another day. I do not know when the Lord's coming back. But here's what I do know. That regardless of whether it happens today or tomorrow, my giving that took place this morning affects a whole lot more than this week. It's about a whole lot more than being able to do the events that we do and reach people and, and, and have the lights on and, and, and be able to have sound and power and the things. That, it's, it's about a whole lot more than that. My giving this morning not only does it influence what happens now, we are building something for eternity. We are building a ministry that is meant to affect our children and our children's children. And so when we invest in the kingdom of God, I'm realizing that what I'm doing now, it's bigger than my temporary little world. And I am investing in something that will change lives long after I'm gone. You will never really be used of God in your full capacity until you learn first how to be a good steward over the things God has given you. But here's what you have to understand. You are the boss. You have a will to choose. But it's rightfully God's. But you're the boss. God has never forced anybody to tithe. God has never forced anybody to give one single dollar. You're the boss. 
And it is your will to choose. You need to understand something. God says it's His. God says you are the steward over it. It's rightfully His. This is important to understand. Stewardship is a big deal. 16 out of 38 parables taught by Jesus deal with money. One out of 10 verses in the Gospels deals with money. 288 in all. Martin Luther said, Everything that I have ever tried to keep in my hands, I have lost. But everything I have given into God's hands, I still possess. C.S. Lewis said, We cannot settle on how much one ought to give. We can only say that the safe rule, one ought to give more than you can spare. J.D. Rockefeller said, I never would have been able to tithe the first million dollars I ever made if I had not tithed my first salary, which was a dollar fifty a week. George Mueller said, God judges what we give by what we keep. And Peter Marshall said, give according to your income, lest God make your income according to your giving. Giving is a command of God, one with promise, though. It's one with promise. God has a promise to those who live by faith, who are willing to invest in His work and in His kingdom. It also comes with a curse, as we read in Malachi chapter 3. In order for us to ever get seriously freed up about giving, we have to change our mentality about whose it really is. I mean, that is truly the key. When we feel like it's mine, I want to do what I want to do. I'm the one that worked for this. I'm the one that went out and did what I did. I'm the one that put in the hard hours. I'm the one, I'm, 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 I'm. And when you think with that mentality, trust me, it's hard to let it go. Psalm 50 tells us that all that is in the earth, the fullness thereof, it is the Lord's. It belongs to God. David said, Who am I that I should be able, and who are we that we should be able to give back to you, God, for everything that we have, you gave into our hands. Stewardship is in the context of ownership. And I want to give you an example this morning, a visual that I hope helps make sense of this. I need a, a young volunteer. Douglas, come on up. Come on up, my friend. I have here a hundred dollars. Real hundreds. Well, it's not hundreds, it's twenties and stuff that makes up a hundred. Real money. Now, currently this is mine. Belongs to me. I am the possessor of it. If I say to Douglas, Douglas, I'm going to give you this money. <laughs> I'm going to give you 20, 40, 60, 80, 90. Now hold on a second. I'm going to give you 100. But 10% of this, I want you to spend on something that's bigger than you. This here, you can use to take care of your needs and the things that are important for you. But this, I want you to take and invest into the kingdom of God. I'm going to trust you with that, okay? 
And I hand this to Douglas. And go see you. We'll see if he gets to keep that or not. The suspense will just kill him. A hundred percent of what he got came from who? Me. Let me ask you an honest question. How many of you would feel that he would make a morally good decision to just keep that extra ten bucks and spend it on what he wanted? What are the chances of if none of us checked it out? What are the chances of him doing that? Probably high. Why? Because he's a child. A lot of ways he's still young, selfish, like many of us. This is the way that God sees it with us. Our problem is, God puts that in our hands and we think it's mine. I can do what I want with it, when I want with it, and God's lucky if I give Him anything at all. This is why it's a matter of the heart. When we quit seeing what we possess as ours for the purpose of building our kingdom, and when we're grateful that our Father, He didn't say, I'm going to make you give it all back. He said, I'm going to help, and I'm going to provide for your needs, and I know what your needs are. And the Bible says that God is He's, he's able to do above and abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask or imagine. That His greatness is able to supply all. All. That is all. All of our needs. He is able to meet our needs. And He has said, I'm going to put this into your hands because I want to take care of you and because I do care for you and I want to bless you and I want you to prosper. But I also want us to have a relationship. I don't ever want you to get out from away from me where you don't think that you need me and you, and, and you are not working back by investing into my kingdom. Stewardship changes lives. And you will never know how God will use your giving to change lives. Now, I did this here like six years ago, so some of you might remember. Some of you maybe don't remember because you weren't paying attention. How many of you, by show of hands, how many of you know who R.G. Letourneau is? Anybody know who R.G. Letourneau is? One man in here. R.G. Letourneau. R.G. Letourneau was a great businessman with little education who caught on to giving. And by the end of his life, R.G. Letourneau was living on 10% and giving 90%. That's not all I have to say about R.G. Letourneau. Billy Graham, how many of you know Billy Graham? Okay. In the late 40s, he went to Longview, Texas. Cliff Barrows and George Beverly Shea met with Billy Graham, and the three of them agreed this would be their last meeting. There was a meeting scheduled in L.A., but there was no money to get there. R.G. Letourneau just so happened to visit that meeting in Longview, Texas. He said that the Lord told him to sow the biggest gift that he had ever given. He gave to Billy Graham, and the money that he gave to their ministry was enough to get them to L.A. If you've ever studied the Billy Graham ministry, you know that it was in L.A. at the L.A. Crusade. 
that Randolph Hearst, who was the head of the L.A. Times, put the words out, Pump Graham, to all of his newspapers. And Billy Graham and his crusade was on the front page of almost every newspaper nationwide. And his ministry went from a small ministry that nobody had heard about to the enormous ministry that has reached literally hundreds of thousands of people. Because R.G. Letourneau listened to God and said, what I have is not mine, and was willing to invest it into the kingdom of God. Stewardship is bigger than us. Tithing is not about this church or that church. It is about a relationship that I have with God. It is the understanding that God owns it, and if He owns it, He is the Lord of it. Now, here's what I want us to close with this morning. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6-7. through 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6-7. through But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one, listen to verse 7 and listen to it carefully. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And let's look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. God loves a joyful, a joyful giver. And when we are joyful and we understand, God, You have allowed me to be part of Your kingdom. You have allowed me to be part of something bigger than myself. You have allowed me to invest in something that's greater than just my little world. And I begin to give with joy. I begin to give with the heart God wants me to give with. We need to understand that real giving is not buying. I'm not against buying a Christian t-shirt. I'm not against buying a cake at a bake sale. But there is a difference between buying something with the motivation of I'm going to get something in return and truly giving it. In our giving... We have to be careful not to give God our leftovers. Most people give God what is left of their time. They're gone 20 weekends a year. Of their effort and their energy. The things they are investing their, their life into. Very little is it often the things of God. And often in their giving. Rather than having made up my mind, I'm going to be faithful in my giving and I'm going to trust God. We sit down and we write out all our bills and we decide what we want to purchase and we decide what we want to do. And then we give God what is left. God wants Him to be at the front and foremost of everything we do, including our giving. One of the biggest problems with our society is we are strapped by debt. 
We're strapped by debt. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I'm talking about home improvement, right? One of the things I want to encourage you to do, get your giving straight and begin a plan to get out of debt. Many of the people, and I am trying to be as kind as I can this morning, I sure hope I've come across that way. Many of the people who don't pay their tithes and tell me they can't have credit card bills, sometimes three, four, five hundred dollars a month in car payments. They're strapped with debt. And here's, here's the honest truth, folks. They think to themselves, well, I'll get out of debt and then I'll pay. And you know what happens? They start to get out of debt. They start to get where it's manageable. And they think, now I can go get that TV. Man, we've needed a big one for a long time. Now I can go get that new car. Now I can go get that new phone. Now I can go... And and we are constantly... We are in a culture where we are constantly accumulating debt to accumulate more stuff. And then as a church, many of us are saying, well, I just can't afford to give to God. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And if you're... We're talking about home improvement. You want a healthy home... Find a way to get out of debt. Find a way to say, we're not going to be strapped with $500 or $200 or $1,000 or whatever it is in your life. Every month, we've got to find a way to pay this thing. Imagine what it would be like to be freed up. Imagine what it would be like to be freed up financially and not have to pay your debt payments every single month. To be able to go somewhere when you need to go somewhere. To be able to give something when you wanted to give something. Debt is a bad thing in the Bible. There's never one verse in the entire Bible that says debt is healthy. It likens being in debt to being a slave. We are a slave to our creditors. That's what the Bible teaches us. And guys, can we just be honest? This is like totally polar opposite of what our culture tries to tell us. I mean... Most of our kids are coming out of college with forty to sixty thousand dollars of debt at the age of like twenty two, twenty three. It's unbelievable the way that we're starting life and we are living our life behind our debt. I want to encourage you to be willing to sit down with your spouse and make a real plan that says, Hey, we're going to work on getting out of debt. And you know what phase number one is? I know this sounds crazy. Phase number one, just quit getting in debt. Have enough faith to believe in God, that God, you're our provider. I'm going to start to change some things to live by wisdom, but we're not just going to run out and buy everything that we want to buy when we want to buy it anymore. That's phase number one. You'll never get out of debt if you're continually getting into it. Phase number two, sit down and make a realistic plan on how we're going to get out of here. Can I tell you, I did this in my own life some time ago. I'm living what I tell you. But I remember when I sat down and I looked at our total debt, except for the home, and I began to look at if we just paid what I was paying on it, how long it would take me to get out of debt. It was like 14 years. I thought, are you kidding me? If I never buy another thing for the next 14 years, 
and I only pay what I'm paying now, I'm going to be 50 years old before the stuff I bought a long time ago is paid off? We've got to think about these things. This is real stuff. You get yourself messed up financially and it affects the family. It affects the home. It affects the relationship between husband and wife. It affects, it affects everything. Jesus said, earlier when I looked at the text in John chapter 6, and Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right before that, Jesus said this. He said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moss, moth and rust destroy, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You know something? The Bible tells you to store up treasures for yourself in heaven. That is actually a command from Jesus Himself to store up treasures in heaven. There's nothing wrong with desiring treasures or trying to store up treasures. The foolishness is trying to store up treasures here on earth that we can't take with us. The foolishness is to think of every hundred dollars that I have wasted that I can never get back that I could have invested into the kingdom of God and had eternal treasures in my eternal home. It's not an emotional appeal. It's logical. I ask you the question this morning, what person are you living for? What place are you living for? And what possessions are you living for? We live in the most marketed to society in the history of the world. You are told if you don't have the latest and the newest and the greatest big thing, you, you pretty much are just got no reason to be happy. In some way or some form or fashion, that is the way everything is marketed. And it's easy, even as Christians, even as people who sincerely love Jesus, even as people who sincerely want to live a life that honors and glorifies God, it is easy to get caught up on that rat wheel. And here's the problem with it. It doesn't work. Being self-centered and taking all that I have to build up my kingdom, it doesn't work. It doesn't really provide purpose. It doesn't provide peace. Because we were created, created for something bigger than us. We are created to be part of something much more eternal and much more lasting than our little vapor of life. And when you get caught in that trap of trying to buy this and buy that, and you're taking everything that you make and you think it's all about you, you're going to find it will cause problems in your marriage. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how little money you have. When we get things out of whack and we are not doing them God's way, it will cause problems in the home. Be a giver. Be a giver. If you are not giving, I ask you to trust me, but more importantly, I ask you to trust the Word of God. And I want you to understand something. I've been praying about this sermon series. Not this sermon, this entire series. I've been praying for the families in our church. And as I've been praying and sincerely looking for direction from God on God, what can we get from this that will help our homes look better? 
this was the first thing that I felt led by the Lord to deal with. And so I'm going to ask you to trust me, and I'm going to ask you to trust God's leading this morning on our church. If you are not giving, would you, if you're not married, spend some time praying and ask God how He would like you to start that. And if you are married, I want to challenge you to talk with your spouse about your giving. Come up with a plan that says, husband, wife, how can we become givers? How can we begin to show in our marriage and in our home and to, and to, and to the Lord that we are part of His kingdom? Become givers. Make the changes necessary. You might have to cut some stuff out. You might find that you can't have the entire huge cable package, but you could cut out $50 a month if you cut out a few channels. You may have to do that in order to get to a place where you look at your budget and you say, you know what, now we can begin to invest in the kingdom of God. I want to encourage you to talk about with your spouse getting out of debt. Let's stop getting into it because it's a trap. Be free to give, free to do things for God, free to go where God wants you to go. And in the weeks to come, we're going to look at husbands, men, fathers, wives, mothers, ladies, raising girls, raising boys. We're going to look at the home in our culture and how to be a strong home that honors and glorifies God. But I want to tell you something. Trusting God here is where it starts. You've got to start there as a family. Teach your children young the principles of good stewardship. Home improvement starts with the finances. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. Not necessarily the kind of a morning uh, where you maybe want to come to the altar and pray, but I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning just to pray, to think on these things. If God's dealt with your heart in any way and you'd like to come forward, we do have altars for you to pray. Maybe husband and wife, you just want to pray about some things God's doing in your life. But I want to encourage you this morning to know money does matter. You can't separate the way you... Spend your money from your relationship with God. Money matters. It tells us about the heart. Father, I pray that Your Word this morning that has gone forth would be challenging to us. God, I pray that we would see as is always the case. Lord, help us to see. Your Word is to help us. It's because You care for us. It's because You do know what's best. And God, You do. Make your ways in such a way that forces us to live by faith. We thank you for that, God, because you've also told us that without faith it's impossible to please you. Lord, I pray, Father, for our people. Lord, that you'd help us to get out of debt. God, that you'd help us to become givers. God, that you would help us to have a better perspective that all that we have is yours. And God, that you have asked us to take a portion of it and sow it back into your kingdom. Father, as we sing a final closing song, would you deal with our hearts and have your way with us? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.